Hey, it's Melvin, one of your friendly neighborhood podcast hosts. Whether it's your first time tuning in or you're a longtime listener, consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever. Reviews are the lifeblood of the podcast world, so if you want to help us out, it'll take only a moment of your time. Otherwise, we hope you enjoy the show. Hi, my name is Melvin, and that's it, man. Game over, man. Game over. Welcome to Cinematic Doctrine, a spoiler-free Christian movie podcast where we sit at the table of cinema and eat. Tonight we'll be dining on Michael Doherty's Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Believe it or not, in 1954, the original Godzilla released with mixed to negative reviews. Less than a decade after the bombing of Nagasaki and Hiroshima, critics felt it was a gross exploitation of a national or better yet, worldwide disaster. Fascinating, then, to think a film reminiscent of man-made disasters has turned into a franchise that sensationalizes mayhem and destruction. And that's not stopping anytime soon, especially with Godzilla King of the Monsters, a sequel film to Gareth Edwards' 2014 Godzilla, and third film in the Monsterverse franchise seeking to pave the way for further giant monster films, including a Godzilla vs. Kong, which Adam Wingard will be directing for a 2021 release date. But I'm getting ahead of myself, so let's just talk about King of the Monsters. Monarch, a scientific agency hoping to study and learn from giant kaiju, or pardon me, titans, is fighting to keep environmental terrorists from releasing other kaiju, (coughs) I mean, pardon, sorry, titans, before havoc is let loose across the entire world. In short, it's a film perfectly suited to get giant beast-like creatures fighting other giant beast-like creatures. Godzilla King of the Monsters is rated PG-13 for sequences of monster action violence and destruction, and for some language. Yeah, there's a lot of mayhem. Some frightening images regarding Randy's, and the creatures themselves can be a little scary with how they're presented. Violence is throughout the film, and if you're going in for giant monster action, although it is shown poorly, you'll have a good time. On the language, well, there's a fair amount of cursing throughout, and IMDb says there was an F-bomb somewhere, but I have almost no memory of that, although there was a moment it was implied for a joke, as well as a character raising their middle finger. Also, it's not in the certificate, but there's crass humor throughout with varying degrees of offense, although nothing really overt. So let's get into this. Godzilla, King of the Monsters. It's basically a bigger, stupider version of Aquaman, but without the wonderful charismatic presence of Jason Momoa, or as I call him, Jason Mimosa, because I want a sip of that in the morning, you feel me? And it lacks a lot of the overtop creativity of Aquaman, as well as the gripping visuals and Odyssey-like pacing of Aquaman, yet it still feels a heck of a lot like Aquaman in that it's a big, dumb, stupid, fun adventure film. That is, of course, if you can endure so much that is just really, really... Really dumb, and I'm talking really, really dumb. Like, I have seen some terrible films this year. Really terrible. Incredibly horrible, offensive films. 2019 seeks to destroy my soul with each passing weekend, and I find myself fading into the bitter black nothingness of the void, but nothing has come out as stupid as Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Now, whether you think that's a good thing, I don't know. For me, look, I'd rather have a stupid good time in a movie than a miserable, offensive time with one. I think anyone would agree with that, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, Godzilla King of the Monsters is so mind-numbingly dumb, I could feel myself losing any sense of critical understanding with each destructive visual, with each overly dramatic and high-pitched roar. 
with each juvenile attempt at humor. It's like I'm in a clockwork orange, except there isn't a headpiece keeping my eyes open. I was willingly drowning my senses in utter and complete chaos because I have a problem, and it's called I like judo fighting kaiju, I mean titans, that shoot atomic lasers from their monstrous bodies because it's awesome. At least it normally is, but in King of the Monsters, it's pretty boring. The film's monster choreography, if I can call it that, is shot in an unflattering style. Everything has a smeared, dark look, and while it may be cheaper to animate dark sequences, as artists aren't struggling to make things look more realistic, it would help to at least have steady, still angles to let me watch what's happening without constant cuts and transitions. Yeah, and I think most people are satisfied with the action. I mean, anyone could look at the audience score on Rotten Tomatoes to figure that one out, and maybe it would simply look too clunky to have still lingering shots of these creatures fighting one another. I mean, goodness, one of them is a moth, for Pete's sake. Now, I'm part of the crowd that, although initially was disappointed with the little screen time Godzilla had in his 2014 film, I've grown to really appreciate Gareth Edwards' restraint in his use of the giant lizard. In fact, I would say he treats Godzilla much better in his film than Michael Doherty does with King of the Monsters. Part of that is due to how harrowing and horrifying Godzilla feels in 2014 as opposed to 2019. He feels like something otherworldly whenever he makes his entrance, and there's always a sense of awe surrounding his presence. A lot of that is due to the world's reaction, and we're given a lot of scenes where Randy's in 2014 Godzilla are reacting to the events of a great calamity and terror, then pause in silence as Godzilla appears and completely floors their comprehension. It's like something in their mind clicked and went, I thought I knew fear. I know so little. How Edwards is able to repeat this is beyond me, as he does it over and over in that film, and it's crazy to describe a kaiju movie as being quiet, but I think that's accurate, as despite the giant stakes and complete mayhem of that film, it's in the quiet moments that things really get frightening, that you realize that people in this world are witness to something so great it shatters their preconceived notions of nature, human dominance in the food chain, and all-around security in the modern age. King of the Monsters doesn't do anything like that. It's not concerned with making Godzilla anything other than some big brute of a beast. Maybe it tries to argue his benevolence, and that's fine, but also completely unnecessary. Not to mention, it doesn't do a very good job. At the end of the day, he's just a cool giant lizard, and I guess that's okay. But honestly, I'm barking up the wrong tree here. Godzilla, as far as general audiences are concerned, isn't about a good story or even a poignant metaphor. They want absurd mayhem and destruction from giant things fighting each other, and while I can understand the appeal of watching fictional, overpowered beasts fighting one another, I can't help but feel that's a bit dirty. And I know that includes myself, as well, because I like big things fighting other big things. Yet, I think about the 1954 film and how that film takes the destruction of Japan seriously, how there are frightening sequences of a mother holding her children as Godzilla destroys everything, and she encourages her children, saying, Don't worry, we'll be with Daddy soon. Following is a difficult and challenging scene where we witness children undergoing radiation scans in a refugee camp, testing positive while weeping over their dead parents. I think about the philosophical drama surrounding scientific discovery, whether or not it's moral to use weapons of mass destruction in retaliation to weapons of mass destruction, or at the bare minimum, whether scientific advancements are worth the risk at all, knowing someone could stumble upon a compound that is so deadly it could not only negatively affect human life, but nature as well. I wonder about the historical relevance of such a film, how it commentates not only on a specific space and time, but also targets social issues now, such as who's responsible for collateral disasters, how should we respond to it, and what can we learn from it? 
In March of 1954, seven months before the release of Godzilla, the Fortunate Dragon, a fishing boat from Japan, sailed through an irradiated zone. It was produced from recent tests of an American H-bomb held at Bikini Atoll in the Marshall Islands. When the crew members returned home, they were deathly sick, and since they didn't know it was due to radiation poisoning, they didn't think twice about selling their fish. Their catch was then distributed across Japan, and once people learned the whole incident was the result of radiation, the fish food market crashed for weeks since nobody wanted to risk eating irradiated fish. Now, it's easy to blame the United States for this one, and I can't say I don't disagree with that interpretation here, but they had alerted mariners for weeks that sailing through a large portion of the ocean near Bikini Atoll was prohibited. Yet, the fortunate dragon didn't have a radio, and suspected to be from a minor port, so word simply didn't reach them. I mean, goodness gracious, they had no idea what was going on. Crew members reported seeing a strange light in the sky off in the distance, and soon after, a weird ashy substance fell from the sky. It became so thick they had to collect brooms and push it off the side of the ship, all while traveling through a highly contaminated zone. It's just petrifying. But what do you do with that? The United States were warning people, right? Of course, they were also testing out a massive killing device near a conquered nation. Meanwhile, these were just a couple of randies out making ends meet. They didn't even know what was going on. Just nightmarish, to say the least. And the importance here is that not only did the Hiroshima-Nagasaki bombings influence Godzilla, but so did this recent event regarding collateral damage due to scientific advancement in nuclear developments. And the fear surrounding this is emphasized when the end of the film is this prophecy of a returning beast, this fear that even if we stop one, who's to say there couldn't be another? So why am I rambling so much about a different Godzilla film and the history surrounding it when I should be talking about Godzilla, King of the Monsters? I guess because I feel like Godzilla is a franchise that has changed so much and in a grotesque, twisted sort of way, the very art of Godzilla has been tainted by capitalistic greed and ignorance. Whoa there, Melvin. That's some crazy statement you're making there. Are you going to back that up? Well, I'll try. You see, the original Godzilla was only shown in Japanese communities here in the States, while a heavily edited, Americanized version titled Godzilla King of the Monsters, with an exclamation point at the end, was shown across the nation. It dropped virtually all the political commentary, along with anything social or anti-nuclear, and replaced a lot of those scenes with Canadian actor Raymond Burr as he interacted with Japanese lookalikes to the original cast. Okay... Then you have subsequent Toho films losing a lot of their nuance and political commentary for men wearing suits fighting each other across hillsides and cityscapes. Okay... Then Roland Emmerich releases his version of Godzilla in 1998, and it's a total and complete bust. In fact, it's basically rejected by Toho. Then you have Shusuke Kaneko, who directed his own Godzilla film, quoted saying, It is interesting that the U.S. version of Godzilla runs about trying to escape missiles. Americans seem unable to accept a creature that cannot be put down by their arms. Okay? Right? Okay? Now... Before I clarify on my rather damning statement with regards to the Godzilla franchise, I want to emphasize again that I like the 2014 Godzilla film quite a lot, and I think director Gareth Edwards does exactly what he needed to satisfy both the original film's history as well as the Big Thing Punch Big Thing fan, as Edwards' film seems to emphasize the existential struggle of witnessing great power that cannot be stood against. 
as well as repeatedly portraying human responses to the presence of these kaiju. Titans! Apart from that, he also does it with such wonderful artistry that watching the film is quite frightening on repeat watches. Not only that, the film has a present, albeit less explicit, commentary regarding nuclear development and its risks. For goodness sake, the complicating incident is a nuclear reactor meltdown, and Japan had just suffered the most catastrophic meltdown in the world since Chernobyl only three years prior to the film's release. The Fukushima nuclear disaster was an absolute travesty and even now continues to be a problem many are recovering from. You don't just bounce back from an earthquake, tsunami, and nuclear meltdown all happening at once. I suppose one could respond to Gareth Edwards' Godzilla film with a similar feeling as the critics who watched 1954's Godzilla and argue that Edwards is exploiting a recent disaster, but with the constant existential presentation of Godzilla in his film, there's a lingering sensation that feels remotely connected to the original film's deliberation regarding the risky advancements of scientific benefits to the world, yet fearing the worst on how people will use them. The 2014 film is not nearly as effective in this as the 1954 film, as Edward's film feels like a good popcorn flick through and through. But again, Melvin, why are you spending so much time talking about other Godzilla movies when you should be talking about Godzilla King of the Monsters, let alone claiming the franchise has been contaminated by corporate greed? What are you, some kind of hack? No, I'm not a hack, and here's why. It's because King of the Monsters is everything these other films aren't. Nothing comparable to the level of care and focus in those films is present in King of the Monsters, and there's great irony to think that Michael Doherty indirectly adapts not only the name of the Americanized rendition of 1954's Godzilla, but a bit of its production philosophy as it dumbs down its themes for an American audience. Which, I must admit, I find myself balancing two different feelings here. I feel okay about this. Because I love a good, stupid, dumb movie that's at least fun. But I I feel really angry because it's a strange bastardization of a creator's original intent. It's that latter part that makes me think about corporate greed. The fact that people would build off something and create something so undeniably antithetical to the original project seems really grotesque to me. Putting 1954 Godzilla and 2019's Godzilla King of the Monsters side by side would be like night and day, as one film portrays disaster with emotion and nuance, while the other glorifies mass destruction because it looks cool, as one film debates the moral quandary of scientific advancement and the risks of finding out highly dangerous compounds, and the other, as Doherty has said, hopes to put normal scientists as the heroes, as science is under fire lately, whatever that means. They just feel so different, it's unreal. In fact, thinking more about it only makes King of the Monsters feel worse, despite also being so dumb, it's fun. Now, one of you listeners might be going, there's nuance in the film, Melvin. It's a very pro-nature film, Melvin. It's environmental, Melvin. It's about overpopulation. No, King of the Monsters is not about environmentalism. Paul Schrader's first Reformed is about environmentalism, That's a film that makes you sympathize with characters as they struggle with their futures. King of the Monsters is about big dudes fighting other big dudes while a moth sprays its powder on stuff. And look, that's totally fine. But also, maybe not. Anyways, thank you so much for checking out this episode of Cinematic Doctrine. What did you think of Godzilla King of the Monsters? Did you think the fight scenes were cool? Or were you bogged down by the overabundance of human characters? Feel free to let me know in the comments or visit cinematicdoctrine.com and let me know there. Also check the show notes for a link to a letterbox list containing every movie covered by Cinematic Doctrine, as well as direct links to those episodes. Also, also, find us on Facebook at Cinematic Doctrine, 
and get express updates on dumb posts as well as partake in the daily movie deathmatch where I pit similar movies together and you guys pick which one survives. Also, 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 Popcorn Theology just wrapped up their Monster Mayhem. You know, because it was the month of May and it's over now. And covered a wonderful kaiju film called Cloverfield. You should totally check it out, as it harkens back to 1954's Godzilla, except with a respectful American touch, as it's heavily influenced by a post-9-11 world. Again, go check it out, and I'm sure you won't be disappointed. Next time, I'll be covering Mandy by Panos Cosmatos. Until then, stay cool. Want some Cinematic Doctrine swag? You're in luck! We've got 3-inch Cinematic Doctrine logo stickers exclusive for Patreon supporters. Perfect for your travel mug or laptop. Head over to patreon.com forward slash cinematicdoctrine, link in the show notes, and choose the independent theater tier. Doing so will net you other perks too. But let's be real, the podcast stickers are the coolest perk. So get yourself some podcast stickers by supporting on Patreon.